In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter. I'm Chris Corman, joined by Charles McDonald and Steven Ruiz. We work at For the Win. We write about football, and we're about to talk about it. Week 15, not the most exciting week. A couple funny things happened. Uh, the horrible Jets won a football game, thus uh, moving into second place in the Trevor, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Uh, I'm sure Charles, who covered the Jets in his last gig, will have some laughs about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about some of the bigger stories coming out of the weekend. Uh, Carson Wentz apparently does not want to be a backup in Philadelphia, so we'll look at what's going to happen next with him. The Patriots' uh, streak of making the playoffs since 2008 was ended. Steven's going to uh, sort of break down what actually happened there. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Cowboys and, the, and their future. We'll dig in a little bit on some games. Uh, you know, not much revealing out of this weekend. I think the biggest takeaway is that it confirmed a lot of what we believed about the league. Uh, but we will talk about the, the Falcons blowing another lead, uh, the Chiefs and Saints game, what, what we saw there. We'll lavish some love on Justin Herbert, which I feel like we're doing every episode now. And then we're going to talk about a story that Charles dropped this morning on the creators of those uh, hilarious Monday night football graphic animations, the ones where they sort of take the information they're trying to give to you and they wedge it into a funny cartoon. Uh, but at first, Charles, he has insisted. I mean, Charles is, you know, what, <laughs> this is just your third week here, right? Uh, yeah, uh, the start yeah. of week three. Third week, he has insisted. I mean, this guy, he is not shy. He insists that we open the show with an extensive breakdown of Ryan Finley, the quarterback. Uh, he has, he's found some, some film of him in high school, I think, some Boise State. Uh, Finley actually turns out he was in college for like seven years. Uh, he played at Boise State. He played at NC State. I don't know. He was all over the place. Uh, so, Charles, I'm just going to let you go, man. Just tell me everything about Ryan Finley and what we need to know. He's starting for the Bengals tonight in a very exciting game against the Steelers. You don't need to know anything. There you go. <laughs> oh, I was like, I came in a little late to the discussion, and I I thought this was an actual thing that was going to happen. Like, he actually did some Ryan Finley research. <laughs> no, I'm no. so disappointed now. <laughs> uh, now I want my Ryan. I, I thought it was just like this weird vendetta he had against a, a mediocre Bengals after the Zach Taylor thing last week. <laughs> hey, re- mediocre. That's a compliment for the Bengals <laughs> right now. Good boy. Yeah, we are, we are not going to break down the Ryan Finley film. Uh, we'll not do that. But Charles, do tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Uh, you know, as I said, you were covering the Jets. The Jets go out and beat 
the Rams 23 to 20. You know, like the Jets have been flirting with winning the Rams are the Rams. Uh, you know, we, we know that they are capable of having games like this. Uh, that's sort of the story. Like there are I mean, there are times, Stephen, I think you thought the Rams were the best team in the NFL for like the first three, four. Five oh, hold on. Hold on. NFC, NFC, NFC. NFC. Let's not get NFC. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't have Mahomes now, <laughs> but you but you did think that their their defense was the best matchup for Mahomes as as recently as last week. I still I think that, that, by the way, I'm not I'm not backing off that take. I still think that's true. All right. But uh, but we know that they are like this. They they are not very they are consistent. capable of losing to the Jets. I think that yeah. sums up their floor nicely. <laughs> uh, so, Charles, what did you think? when you saw this, cause you, I mean, you've been steeped in this discussion around the jets, uh, you know, the players, you know, you were doing, I guess, zoom calls this year. You weren't in the locker room, but you were doing zoom calls with these guys and, and knew on one hand that they were trying desperately to win football games while the fans understand that the best path toward being good at football again is to tank and get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and those two worlds collided and I know that you had probably an interesting time watching the reactions to that yesterday. Yeah. I mean, uh, congrats to the Jets players <laughs> and coaches. I, I mean, it's earnestly like congrats to the Jets players and coaches for winning that game because look, nobody wants to have the unwashable stench of Owen 16 on them for the rest of their careers. Uh, and I, I guess one 15 isn't that much better, but, Plenty of teams have gone one and fifteen. Only two have gone zero and sixteen, and right. uh, that's a stat that I think a lot of NFL fans can remember off the top of their heads because it happened uh, fairly recently. Fairly recently with the Lions and the Browns, uh, but uh, it, it, and and I and I should say that you know, if you're actually in the building and you know going to workouts and studying film and trying to memorize your playbook and going through the motions at practice. Like it's just too much effort put into even just one NFL practice to actually uh, go out there and attempt to lose. Like you're just putting way too much time into it to, to even try to lose a game. And if you go out there on Sunday and you're not trying, then you're going to get hurt or it's just, there's like a level of pride that comes with it. Uh, if you're actually involved in the day-to-day stuff, but for the fans, I feel so bad for them. Like, <laughs> because not only did they want to go 0 16 to get Trevor Lawrence, like they despise Adam Gase. Jets fans cannot stand him, and they wanted him to be, you know, one of the three head coaches ever to wear that 0 16 patch on his sleeve for the rest of his career, and uh, it's not going to happen. And you know, with the Jaguars strength of schedule and only two games left to go, it looks like that the Jaguars, if they if they both lose out, the Jaguars will have the uh, number one pick no matter what. And if you watch that Ravens game, good Lord, do they need it too? Um, it's just you got so close to the finish line and you win this meaningless game against the Rams where you finally look like the team that a lot of Jets fans maybe thought they could be coming into uh, uh coming into the season during training camp where, you know, the offensive line was looking good. Quentin Williams was looking like an all pro Marcus may was making plays on the back end to, to win the game for you. But it came when you were an O and 13 and just three games away from securing Trevor Lawrence and uh, probably like the most talented quarterbacks to play for the jets in 
maybe since like Joe Namath, honestly, like, I don't know. Uh, it, it's really been that long and now you got to settle probably. Now, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I think that after this weekend, you can probably ask some questions about Justin Fields and uh, maybe Zach Wilson has caught up to him in terms of like who's quarterback too. But y'all, everyone knows that it's a step down from what you're about to get with Trevor Lawrence. And that's the part that hurts so much. Like, you kind of go, you slop through this 0 16 season, and it's worth it for Trevor Lawrence at the end. But to go 1 15 and, and not get Trevor Lawrence, like, that stinks a little bit. And if you just want to, I don't want to say laugh at Jets fans' pain because I, I honestly think they're a pretty fun group of people. But if you just want to get a good chuckle into yourself, just go back and find the tweet from yesterday where the Jets announced that they had beat the Rams and just scroll through the replies. <laughs> I don't, I really don't think there was one happy Jets fan. And like, Oh, and 16 is really bad, and that's what they wanted, and they couldn't even get that. Yeah. Uh, Steven, tell me your thoughts on the gap between Trevor Lawrence. I know you haven't watched a ton of film, and you're not really ready to make this declaration, but you have been watching Lawrence for a few years, and you've thought that he was one of the better prospects you've ever seen. Uh you sort of address this in the take dump that there is enough room between Lawrence and the rest of the QB pack that this really changes the way the Jets have to think. Uh, and yeah, I think I, we, whenever whenever draft season comes, we always start grouping the quarterbacks together, right? We just always say like, "Oh, Luck and RG three, like we always pair them up. It just happens that way, right? Like we're always it's just the momentum of draft season. But I think for you right now, it's like it's a pretty sizable difference between these prospects. Yeah, he's the one out of the four or five. I don't know how many are slated to go in the first round that like it takes maybe two games of watching him before you're like, yep, like I don't need to watch any more of him. It's, it was like for me, it was like watching Chase Young last year. Like right. if you need to watch more than one game of Chase Young to understand that he's good at football. And that he's going to be good in the NFL that like you don't know what you're looking at. And that's how I feel about Trevor Lawrence. And we saw it during his freshman year. And I do think he's gotten better over time. Whereas the other guys like Justin Fields, I was really high on him last year. But this year, although I haven't watched like the All-22 or anything, it's just been watching on the broadcast. I've been kind of skeptical where I don't know what he's going to be in the NFL. And then with Zach Wilson, it's just so hard because he's playing at BYU and he's basically playing, throwing routes on air in that behind that offensive line. So you don't know how he's going to adjust the tighter pockets in the NFL. And he is a smaller dude, so it might affect him more than it would a, a taller quarterback. So with those question marks at this point, I'm like, if I'm the jets, I would be willing to trade down and just take whoever, whoever falls to me, kind of like what the chargers did. The chargers didn't trade down, but they took the quarterback that fell to the, to them and they might have ended up with the best quarterback of the bunch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to add to the uh the quarterback questions like beyond uh the question about Fields and uh Wilson, like Trey Lance hasn't played in a year. Uh he played one game this season that was pretty mediocre. Right. Uh right. and then Kyle Trask just looks like <laughs> one of those guys who is college good, but you don't know about like their NFL prospects. So like to fall from what seems like such a sure shiny thing to this is just, it, it's got to suck. Yeah. And now, now I'm wondering like, 
is Sam Darnold a part of this team next year? Like, if they had Lawrence, there's no doubt about it. He's a, like I said, he's a sure thing or the closest thing to a sure thing that we're going to get. So you could basically say, all right, we're set at quarterback. Now it's time to build around him. Now, if I'm getting one of those other guys, I'm a little more skeptical that we're set at quarterback. And it's kind of a wait and see approach. Like, let's see if this guy is the dude. And if that's the case, you might as well keep Sam Darnold around because he's, he's not too pricey, especially with how backup quarterbacks are getting paid now. And there's still a chance that he could take off under a coach that isn't Adam Gase because he's obviously has talent. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. throw he had to uh, bury us was crazy yesterday. Right. Yeah. On the run. That was, I mean, that was a great throw. Uh, yeah. This is sort of like when we talked about the giants last week, like, you know, bring in competition, <laughs> like uh, create some competition at quarterback, which sort of treat it like a, like it's somehow different than other positions on the field. But when you have guys that you're not entirely sure about, then bring in multiple options and see what happens. Uh, we, we, Charles shared his take last week that the jets with Trevor Lawrence could turn it around pretty quickly and, and have a, a pretty decent offense. What about the Jaguars? I mean, if, if they, they now, I think, I think the percentage is by the way, it's like 75% chance that the Jags will, will stick with this pick. Uh, so the jets still have a chance to get back there depending on how the season rounds out. Uh, but if the Jags end up with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, they have like the jets, they have a ton of cap space, so there's, they can do a lot, but are they in position to be good anytime soon? What, what does this mean for Trevor Lawrence? Sure. I, I mean, I, I I think it's kind of similar. Um, I mean, th- if you want to look at like weapons, I think you can make an argument that J- the Jaguars might have a better case next year when, um, uh, you know, you, you get DJ Chuck back. Uh, James Robinson has turned out to be a very, very solid running back, maybe even a good running back. That was a pretty good find out late in the draft. And uh, you've got money tied up into the interior offensive line. I don't really know how great it is, but the investments are there. So, you know, I, I don't think in either situation for Trevor, it's you're walking into a bare cover. It, it, it just, like, you can kind of do whatever. It's kind of like the Jets where you can do whatever you want, really, with uh, the capital that you're going to have this offseason in terms of cap space and draft picks. And, uh, like, Trevor is good enough that he is going to raise the floor of your offense immediately. Like, uh, and, and it's not it's not a situation like Gerald Burrow was stepping into where, uh, you know, there's really nothing going on uh, positive around you outside of like Joe Mixon and like the occasional like Tyler Boyd game. Uh, I, 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 I think that the Jets and Jaguars, are, they feel pretty similar to me. Uh, and I think if you're going to get someone as good as Trevor Lawrence, then you should be all right. right. But I, I, I do like the idea of like, Trevor Lawrence with DJ Chark and Lavishka Chenault and James Robinson is like a little core to, to work with next year. That's that's not a bad place to be starting with. Steven, do you have any faith in the in the Jaguars front office that they will put something together? Well the thing is we don't know who's gonna be running it right now that Dave Caldwell's out. So I think that's I mean it's it's a it's a very involved ownership group, right? Like that's this is, true. This is one of the teams where you you really get the sense that the decisions are made even above the GM's head. Uh, so. Yeah, and I want to see who who's the coach. I think that's going to be the biggest deciding factor, which would be the best landing spot for him. I I think I would take the Jets supporting cast over the Jaguars, but I agree it's close. I I don't know. I'm a big fan of of Mims, and I'm a big fan of. I like Brashad Perryman, even though he hasn't really – I don't know if he's ever lived up to the hype, but he's shown flashes. 
And I like Makai Becton a lot. And I know everyone on this podcast loves him. I think he, he's, I mean, he's probably the best under 25 left tackle in the league right now. Is that even like a hot take at this point? No, it, it, I don't think it's a hot take at all. Wow. Yeah. So, and he was doing a good job yesterday against a pretty good often uh, defensive line. Like he was handling anyone they threw at him. And there was, I think on the Frank Gore fourth and goal touchdown, he like washed away Aaron Donald and that opened up a, uh, the running lane. I know Aaron Donald isn't a good run defender. That's what the analytics had told me. So maybe that's not as impressive as I'm making it out to be, but it happened and you can, you can go look it up. They recorded it and everything. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Quinnen or not Quinnen, uh, Makai Beckman is as of today he's like the leading vote getter among the AFC offensive tackles, and I feel like it's it's like actually well earned. Yeah, that's not like a New York overhyping a rookie thing. Like he, he, I think he's actually earned that. He's I, I can't like say enough about him. He's a really yeah. good player, and I'm yeah. I'm not shocked. That he turned into a good player, but I'm definitely shocked that it happened this soon. <laughs> shocked that it happened with with Adam Gates <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's running him. running his team. Uh, all right, let's get to uh, Stephen. Did address the Darnold question in his Monday regular feature, the take dump, uh, and so you know, read that over at for the win ftw.usaday.com. You can find it on Twitter. We'll be tweeting it out all day, uh, but. You had some other takes. So there's always there's always at least four takes in the take dump. And the first one was focused on the Patriots. Uh, as I said, their streak ended uh, of making the playoffs first time since 2008. And that was the year that Tom Brady injured his knee in week one. Uh, you know, so this it's. I, just a totally unusual, you know, like really <laughs> for the last decade. Uh, and, and obviously even before that, uh, the, you just knew that the Patriots were going to be there at this time of year. So to see it not happen is pretty shocking. I don't know that there was a ton of reaction yesterday. I, I do not uh, delve into Boston Twitter. It, it might be the worst Twitter. I don't know. It, it's pretty bad. Uh, so I don't know what, what fans were blaming this on or, or what, what people around the league think. I mean, we've obviously been talking about how losing Brady wasn't really that much of a subtraction. But I, but I think that in the broader narrative, people might look at it that way, right? Like there's, we've just set it up so that it's, oh, can Brady succeed without Belichick? Can Belichick succeed without, succeed without Brady? Uh, you have sort of smashed that whole uh line of narrative here by pointing out that really it was the defense that took the biggest step back and we expected them to take a step back, right? Like last year, their, their numbers were just unsustainable. They, they were getting lucky in a variety of ways. So we knew that they would regress a little bit, but it's been much worse. And that's really because of the COVID opt outs, uh, which I mean, that feels like forever ago, but when the league made it so that players could pretty easily opt out, the Patriots were the team that it happened the most to. I think there were eight players, and that was by far the most in the list, uh, and some some significant names on there. So take take me through your view of what happened to the Patriots this year. Yeah, I think the biggest loss of the offseason was arguably Dante Hightower mm-hmm. because that – and you could throw in Patrick Chung, who is a safety, but he basically plays linebacker in that system. And right. losing those two guys has basically killed – that front seven and then you add in the free agent departures and that happened before the opt-out so i'm not sure the 
that Bill Belichick was planning for it. They lost Kyle Van Noy. They lost Jamie Collins. They lost Danny Shelton. Mm-hmm. And maybe we we should have seen them just being a sieve against the run coming. And I think Charles was the first to point this out. It might have been last week where they just get bullied in the run game. And I really noticed it watching the Dolphins game. That's why I'm happy he's here now is because I can just steal his takes and elaborate <laughs> on him. But you stole, you stole them before. You just you didn't have to give him credit. Oh, yeah. Now I have to give him credit. That's <laughs> So maybe it's worse. Uh, but, yeah, that it really stood out in the Dolphins game. Like, they just ran all over. Tua didn't even have a great game. For the most part, Belichick did what he does against rookie quarterbacks, but it didn't matter because they were just running all over them with not even good running backs. And I, I don't know how many offensive start or offensive line starters you guys could name for the Dolphins, but it might max out at like two for me. Yeah, I'm at one. Solomon Kinley only because I watched the Bulldogs last year and I thought he was good for them. And he had a good game yesterday. I think. I, I, I think he was the one of the people that was you know, just road grade in the Patriots front seven. And I think that's had like a trickle down effect where all of a sudden you're in third and four instead of third and seven. So you can't really get creative with your blitzes. Maybe you're not going to be playing press man coverage a lot. And Stefan Gilmore has been out too for a couple games. So I really think the run defense, I know the nerds say it doesn't matter, but it seemed to matter for this team this year. Charles, how do you feel about the Patriots long-term? I mean, is this, an actual downturn uh, for this franchise where they're going to need to take some time like most other franchises would to uh, reload and get back to a place where they can can be annual contenders or is Belichick going to figure this out quickly? Um, I don't know. I, I to cop out answer, but I don't know. Like, I, I think yeah. that there's uh there's a chance like they get back next year. I just, I think that you just kind of hope that the opt outs who, who opt out for this season on defense, come back and, and get this thing figured out. And then you got to go with all in on offense. Like, cause, cause what they have now and quite frankly, like what they had last season around even Brady was just like wholly unacceptable. Uh, and I, I think that, I think that Brady's going to come off the books, so they should have some more money to work with. At this point, like, if you want to re-sign Cam to kind of keep your competitive floor a little bit higher, uh, I I think that that's an okay move. And then uh, you re-sign Cam, shouldn't break the bank for you because he's throwing, like, four passes a game. Uh, (laughs) Hey, maybe we could maybe remember the take that the Patriots are pulling wage oppression on Cam. Uh, But (laughs) I... Like, if you bring him back, like, you should still have a good chunk of money to work with. I don't remember exactly how much they have, but I think it's, it's $69 million. So it's, it, right. the, it's one of the, 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 the list is, yeah, it's Jaguars, Jets, and then Patriots. Uh, the Patriots, the Jags and Jets both have over $80 million, but the Patriots are, you know, and they can, they can move stuff around as Belichick always does. So they have yeah. a lot of room to work with. Yeah. So honestly, I, I think the plan for them should be to, Maybe roll like resign Cam, bring another quarterback for competition, one that can actually play, uh, and then just go all in on offense because, like I said, they just don't have enough weapons to get it done for for any quarterback right now. Like we saw Cam, I, I personally think Cam has been pretty good this year uh, from what he's been asked to do, uh, and we've seen Cam play with pretty bad uh, supporting cast in the past. But I think this is probably the worst one he's ever played with. 
I think it's definitely the worst one he's ever played with. At least because he always had a functional tight end in Carolina and Greg Olson, and he right. doesn't even have that now. They arguably have the worst tight end group in the league. So <laughs> and they signed like every tight end. They drafted a couple. They signed a bunch. They. Yeah, but that's what happens when you're like shopping at the bargain bin. Right, right. It's not like they signed any good ones. But now they have the cap space, and Belichick said this was always going to be a lost year for them because they went all in at the end of Brady's run. And, and that's true. They How they set up his contract, it was basically they were going to have to eat a ton of dead money if they re-signed him last offseason. That's what happened. Or That's not what happened, but they ended up eating the dead money. And now I think they could spend in free agency if they want to, and – that cap space matters more in a year where all the other teams don't have a lot of cap space. There's like five teams with cap space and the rest of them are just not going to be able to sign anyone. Right. So maybe he throws a bunch of money at Hunter Henry. Maybe he throws a bunch of money at Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin. I don't know who the other receiver free agents are, but there's, there's enough out there where they could build a pretty good supporting cast. Right. And those salaries will be suppressed too, by the lack of, uh, you know, the, the salary cap itself is, going to be lowered by the pandemic and then just how the number of teams that can't get involved means that those salaries will be will stay lower so uh, the teams that have money are in a really good position uh let's talk about a, a quarterback that unexpectedly appears likely perhaps to hit the market that's carson wentz uh adam schefter reported sunday morning that wentz was disgruntled with the idea of being a backup to Jalen Hurts and was upset with how everything had unfolded this year with the Eagles. Uh, you know, I think there have been reports in the past that he was upset that Hurts was even picked in the second round and felt that that was a betrayal of some sort by the Eagles. So this story, you know, that's I, I think that people close to Wentz have, have said that it's not the case. I mean, it's one of these where it's back and forth. But if Schefter's saying it, he probably got it from the agent. If the agent's putting it out there, he's doing it for a reason to try to stoke these discussions and get people thinking. Uh, and we're included. We, we certainly took a, a long look yesterday at, at what could happen with Wentz. And Charles uh, dug into this a couple of weeks ago, really sussing out how the contract works. Uh, and really, the only way that Wentz is going to move is to get traded. Uh, and so, Stephen, you have posited here that one good trade destination, one that uh, a guy who could save Carson Wentz is a favorite of ours, Kyle Shanahan, uh, the head coach of the 49ers, and, and what he would be able to do offensively to put Wentz in a more comfortable spot. You have a great line in here that, you know, Wentz probably can't be fixed, but he can be used correctly. Uh, so uh, do you think this is an actual possibility? I mean, could this end up working out for the 49ers and, and the Eagles? I think them missing out on the playoffs is going to force the 49ers to kind of reassess where they are with their roster. And they're going to have some guys leave. I think Richard Sherman is probably not going to be back. I think he said that on the record this season. So if you're, if you, you know, you're turning over the roster a little bit, you have to look at the quarterback position. And if you look at the quarterback position and look at that $25 million cap hit that Jimmy Garoppolo is taking up next year and that $3 million dead cap number, I don't see how you don't move on. And if there are quarterbacks as talented as Carson Wentz out there, obviously he's a flawed quarterback and he looks broken at this point, but we've seen that system turn just guys that shouldn't even be in the NFL to at least viable starters. Like there was a time where people were discussing Nick Mullins as 
a potential starter and someone who might command a second round pick in a, in a, in a trade. And I don't know if you've watched Nick Mullins recently, but that dude is not an NFL quarterback and he has no business being on an NFL field. So if he could do that for Nick Mullins, I think that system would do wonders for Carson Wentz, whose biggest issues are one, he holds onto the ball too long Two, he's inaccurate and his footwork is terrible when he has to go through progressions. And then three, I think it's just reading a defense and Kyle Shanahan's offense just takes care of all of that for the quarterback. If Carson Wentz doesn't have to think and he can just react, I think he could be a top 15 quarterback again. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, Wentz's biggest problem this year was that he was given time to think. I, you know, and I don't know, like, I, I mean, I have to go back and watch film of 2017, but it did certainly did not feel that way. My memory of those teams is that he was just sort of, going through and playing uh he's looked like like the fixed quote unquote baker mayfield that we saw last night where he does not he just sort of has to make throws uh everything else is off his plate you know he a guy flashes open and he just has to make throws same thing with like you said like with golf when when jared golf just has to do that he can do it uh most pro quarterbacks can it's uh it's when they're asked to do other things and we haven't seen Wentz have that have that option in recent years uh let's talk about the guy that is potentially pushing Wentz out it's it's still awfully early uh you know to 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 hype up Jalen Hurts too much uh but he did look really good against Arizona Cardinals he was 24 for 44 for 338 yards he also rushed for 63 I think he threw three TDs and caught it and ran another one uh he's he looks like a, a pretty legitimate NFL quarterback uh, and you know and Steven you had sort of set his the bar for him you said that you weren't sure about his floor and you also thought he might have a high ceiling uh, again really early but what is your feeling at this point yeah I didn't watch this game yesterday but I watched Jalen Hurts' highlights and he was making some big boy throws out there so yeah. I don't think you could the same criticism people could have had after that first game I don't think you could have for this game and sure there's probably issues with his processing time and how he's reading defenses but when you're a rookie quarterback who could do what he can do with his legs and you're not taking up a bunch of cap space so they could build around you and make things easier then I think that's all you really need if you have a good front office so I mean, I don't know how you come away from this stretch this last month thinking that Carson Wentz is a better option. Like, I think they just have to commit to Jalen Hurts going forward, and they need to do it sooner rather than later. Right. I mean, he only completed 55% of his passes, but he was really pushing the ball downfield. His, his average depth of throw was 9.6 yards. Uh, so, I mean, he... Uh, like you said, big time throws and and a couple at the end of the game that should have been caught and would have put the Eagles. I mean, there's one in the end zone that, uh, you know, it's a really, really big time throw uh, that, it, you know, if the Eagles can get some guys who can catch they're they're going to be in a good position. Uh, your next take dump is sticking, sticking. Why, why are we writing about the NFC East so much? But anyway, what are you doing, Steven? <laughs> this is coming from a guy that covered the Giants and Jets. Like, even if I was on the beat, 
for the Giants and Jets, I would still refuse to write about them. <laughs> yeah, I, I can be honest. My my writing about them definitely dwindle as I uh, <laughs> move into the season. <laughs> uh, your your next take is the uh, that Tony Pollard is better than Ezekiel Elliott. And you point out that this probably is not a huge hot take, but it's just more proof that giving out this contract that Ezekiel Elliott got and and the, how decisive the Cowboys were about this guy and that they cannot uh, seem to make up their mind about Dak Prescott and, and, and committing to him. It's just an utterly ridiculous way to run a franchise. But Pollard was really good against the 49ers. Um, what, what did you see here? I saw a guy that could actually make people miss tackles, which is not something we've seen out of Zeke for maybe three years now. Like going back to last year, he wasn't breaking tackles at a high rate. Right. And Pollard has been doing that the last two years. And I, I, I'm not entirely sure about the math behind this, but I'm pretty sure that seems to be the one area where running backs do differentiate themselves is breaking tackles and Pollard has a clear and distinct advantage going back to last year over Zeke in that regard. And it's not like you could use the, Oh, defenses treat Zeke differently argument because Pollard, according to the next gen stats has actually faced more loaded boxes than Zeke has this year. And he's just doing a better job with those opportunities. He's, he has a higher rushing yards over expectation average the rate at which he gains more yards than expected is way higher than Zeke. So, I mean, I don't even know how you make the argument. And that's without even adding in their salaries. It's clear that Pollard is the more valuable player right now. Right. And the Cowboys can't get out from under the Zeke contract for a couple of years. So sad. It's, it's a mess. Charles, do running backs matter? Well, I haven't, haven't been able to ask you this. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> I mean, running running backs matter. Just you don't need to take one high. I mean, man, this reminds me of one time I got into an argument in the barbershop, like before I moved from DC to New York, where they were telling me that Dak was trash. I'm like, man, just wait until like, and I was like, man, if, if Dak ever gets hurt, you're gonna see how useless Zeke actually is by himself. And I hate that we had to see it like this, but I, like. I wish I could just go back there and be like, y'all, I was right. I hate it had to be like this, but I was 100% right. Uh, it, like you said, the thing with this is like Zeke has really only had, honestly, for me, he's only had like one year where I felt like, like, oh, man, this dude's like elite. Uh, and that was his rookie year uh, because after that, he had the year in 2017 where he got suspended uh, and then showed up out of shape. And then since then, he's just – He's been good, but he hasn't been anyone that really scares you of the defense. So uh, I still don't really know why they felt the need to give Zeke all that money. I feel like it's kind of a thing where you pick him that high. You don't want to let that go because he did turn out to be a good player. But, hey, Tony Pollard can do the same thing, too. Uh, and maybe he can get generate a few more explosive runs. And, and Zeke, I feel like Zeke's career arc has been what the DAC truthers think he- Dak's career arc has been where he was really good his rookie year, but that a lot of that had to do with what was around him. He was running behind the best run blocking offense line in the league, and it wasn't even close at that time. And then since then, he's kind of been not mediocre, but he's just been okay. And he's been good, but not like top five pick good. And I don't think he's ever going to get back to that rookie season. Yep. All right. Let's, uh, as we said, week 15, not. Not the most exciting on the field, uh, but let's update where the playoff picture stands for right now. And I'll ask you guys 
as I usually do for what you think is actually going to happen, uh, you know, with the with the bottom here with these wild card, the three wild card spots this year, uh, if we'll see any change there. In the AFC, the Chiefs, Steelers, and Bills have all clinched a spot. Um, the Titans, Browns, Colts, and Dolphins round out the seven with the Ravens chasing. The Ravens uh, uh, sure looks like Lamar Jackson is feeling very, very comfortable and is back to playing closer to his MVP level of a year ago. And I think the percentages have the Ravens as a pretty heavy favorite to jump the Dolphins and get into the wild card. Is that still what you guys are thinking? Yeah, uh, just because they have a pretty easy end to the season. They play uh, the Bengals and the Giants, which, I mean, come on now. Uh, I've made my (laughs) my feelings about the current Bengals regime very clear. Uh, They're uh, comically bad, and the Giants, like, their offense is just straight up broken. Uh, So I I don't really see the Ravens losing the game. Then you have the Dolphins who have – I think they have oh it was the Raiders and the Bills to close the season, which you know I think that they could probably get a dub over the Raiders, but the Bills might be a little bit tougher unless like they're sitting there guys week seventeen. So, uh, you know the Ravens they're interesting because they've I, I don't want I don't know if they they figured this thing out more so than like Lamar Jackson maybe just like recovering from whatever coronavirus thing he had or right. uh, or maybe they're just getting better better rhythm in the passing game probably has a little bit to do with uh, the teams that they played because I don't think the Browns defense is anything to to right. be afraid of and the Jaguars certainly aren't. I mean, I, I don't know if you're out there, if you watch that Jaguars game, like you can attest to this. That was an <laughs> absolutely pathetic performance from them uh, as they wrapped up the uh, number, as they uh, took over the lead for the number one pick. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I'm interested to see the Ravens because I feel like this is a team that should scare teams like on the road when you right. have Lamar Jackson in the defense that good. Like if the playoffs were to start the debt today, uh, obviously the Dolphins will be in, but if the Ravens were to sneak in, like maybe playing Pittsburgh and yeah, I think that it's very feasible for Baltimore to welcome Pittsburgh and get a win with Lamar Jackson. I know that he hasn't had that much success against the Steelers so far uh, in his career, but you know, they almost lost to Robert Griffin and Trace McSorley, and Lamar Jackson is a lot better than <laughs> both of them. So, yeah, I, I'm excited because I feel like if the Ravens can get into the playoffs this year, this is the year that Lamar Jackson can finally shake off some of that, oh, he doesn't perform in the playoffs thing. Uh, he can't win a playoff game because I, I just feel like they have a really good chance right now. We're all rooting for the, the Ravens to make the playoffs, right? Like people outside of Miami – I know the the Dolphins are a great story, and Brian Flores probably should win Coach of the Year. And two is interesting, but come on, yeah, man. I, I wish I, I wish the, I wish the Dolphins and Ravens could both make it, and the Titans, Browns, and maybe even the Colts would just be kicked out. Right, we don't need to see those teams play. Like they, the regular season is when they had their fun. Now, like the postseason, let the good teams play. But like the Ravens might still catch the Browns. They're only one game back. And I think the Browns play the Steelers still and the Ravens own the tiebreaker. The funny thing is the Ravens have the second best point differential in the entire NFL. and might not make the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Browns have a minus six point differential and are cruising towards the playoffs. Like the Ravens point differential is plus plus one sixteen. The Browns is minus six. 
we should judge we should make the playoff seating based on point differential from here that's that's yeah out of state well actually i disagree Uh, analytics the falcons might make the playoffs if we do that because for some (laughs) ungodly reason they have a plus two point differential besides despite being four and ten on the season how is that possible the falcons are they're just a meat we were talking about this before the show like they're at patrick mahomes level where their ineptitude just isn't even surprising anymore we're not impressed by it yeah that 17-point blown lead, did anyone even make a joke about it? Like, we're just tired of it. We're bored with it. Find a new bit, Atlanta. Yeah. It's I, I, was, uh, I was talking to a buddy that covers the, the Bucks yesterday, and I was like, yo, at no point in that game did I expect the Falcons to win. Uh, <laughs> even They were up like 24 to 7 with five minutes left. I'm like, yo, they are 100% going to lose this game. And they did. All right. Over in the NFC, uh, the Packers are still in the number one spot. The Saints, despite a loss to the Chiefs, stick in the two spot. Seahawks are third right now. The Washington football team controls the NFC East and therefore is the number four seed. Uh, Currently, Rams, uh, (laughs) despite losing to the Jets, are sitting in that first wild card spot. Tampa Bay, uh, which was the team that came back to beat the Falcons is at six and the Cardinals are at seven after beating the Eagles. Uh, the bears are at seven and seven and chasing and the Vikings, uh, uh, they're six and eight. I mean, I feel like none of these teams really have much of a shot. Uh, any changes that you guys expect out of this one? Out of the NFC? Not since last week when the Packers took over the number one seed. Like I thought that was the only intriguing thing left about this playoff race, but it's pretty much right. set. I mean, it doesn't matter who wins the NFC East, obviously. And I I think people seem to think that Washington is a fun team, a fun upstart team. And unless you could really appreciate D-line play, which I know Charles does, but (laughs) if you can't, then this team is just unwatchable at this point. Yep. Yeah. Like we don't need to see them. Give them the Ravens or give the Ravens their spot if the Ravens don't make it. That's another thing we should add to the playoffs. Uh, all right. We 15 games. Uh, let's back up, sort of take a, a, a deeper view at it. Uh, like sort of in general, did you, do you feel like you learned anything? Was there anything huge to come out of these specific games? I mean, it feels like um, we're sort of cruising into the playoffs at this point. Like, so with the, with the Jets Rams game, did we learn anything here? Because I feel like if you were to just like, where are the where where would the Rams trip up in the playoffs? Like it would be Jared Goff, right? Did we learn anything from that game? Because he was not good at all. Right. I mean, we knew Jared Goff has that in him, so no, not really. I didn't learn anything from that game. The only thing you might learn or the my, the lesson you might take is that anybody could lose at any time. So maybe the Chiefs aren't unbeatable. But then you watch that Chiefs game and uh, there's I'm ready to just throw out the blueprint idea theory because the saints did everything you would want a defense to do. Like they were getting after Mahomes with just four a four man rush. They were sticking tight to routes with man coverage. It was kind of like a combination of what we've seen the 49ers do against that offense and what the Patriots have done against that offense. And it just didn't matter. They still scored 32 points. I don't know how you defend them better than the saints did. And they gave up 32 points and it was a, relatively easy win even though the saints had a garbage time touchdown 
Right. And part of that was Drew Brees was, um, you know, we we discussed it like, hey, I guess they're just going to throw him back in there. And they did. And he was predictably bad. I mean, he looked like a guy who was coming off broken ribs and hadn't played in a while. And his coach said like two days before saying he would be active, like, oh, he has a long way to go. And I'm just going to throw him in. I think it was one. It was one day. Yeah. Uh, He looked like that guy. He was terrible. And I mean, as we've been saying, like you, even if you quote unquote, slow the the chiefs down you gotta have a guy on the other side who can who can make some throws and drew Brees was not that guy uh yesterday it was 15 for 34 uh the saints offense just looked totally uh, confused and and not very good uh so i mean maybe maybe breeze gets back if if this is the super bowl uh if this ends up being it obviously the, we've, we've discussed this the saints now potentially have to go through green bay which is a nightmare scenario for Drew Brees and and his arm. In uh, I'm legitimately play. excited for that game. <laughs> I know <laughs> you are. I cannot That's wait. How for you the, are, man? This this is the awesome. next show me. The next gen stat uh, passing chart for Drew Brees is going to be an all timer. I'm already calling now. There's not going to be a pass further than five yards downfield. They might, they might just have to pay Taysom Hill that game. I mean, they might just 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 let him run with the ball every every down. Uh, so yeah, I mean, maybe if this, maybe Breeze is healthier if they make the Super Bowl and, and this matchup looks different. But uh, yeah, despite the thirty-two twenty-nine score looking uh, somewhat close, uh, New Orleans did have a late touchdown. And it, again, it just never felt this never felt like a game. It just felt sort of like yeah, it's the the Chiefs just do what the Chiefs do. Uh, yeah, they're a machine, and no one's going to stop them. And right, you know, like, you know, like you see some analytics people talking about, hey, this team, this Chiefs team is not unbeatable, which is, I guess, true, but also a boring take. And like, you go back and watch that touchdown that that Mahomes threw to McCole Hardman, where like he's flying to his left and he throws a dot like into the smallest possible corner. Right into the end zone. No one else is doing that, man. And it doesn't matter. Like, I, I honestly feel, you know, the blueprint for being the Chiefs is, here's what you do. You go to Patrick Mahomes' home at 2.30 <laughs> in the morning. You put a bag over his head and kidnap him, and he still might throw a touchdown from the van that you have him, like, locked <laughs> up in. Like, that's what we're working with here. Yeah, and I mean, like, Andy Reid is just doing also, like, Mahomes is taking a snap, standing up, and, like, Pitching the ball to his right to Kelsey. Yeah, like, what like, was that? What was that? I mean, they're just they're, they're just like reinventing. Like they're just calling. They're over finding the new ways to score touchdowns. Right. Uh, they're they're just giving Mahomes op. Like Mahomes is good enough to make any offense work, but now he has an offense where he's got all these different options that we just haven't even thought about before, and they're just having fun with it. He's throwing goddamn chest passes like he's John Stockton. I know. Touchdown. And like the touchdown that Chuck brought up, like the audacity to even try that. Right. No, no one else in the league. Like that's not even a throw Brett Favre would make because it was like a touch pass. And I don't think that's really Brett Favre's thing. <laughs> it's style, yeah. And I posted like a screenshot of the next gen dots at the time that Mahomes released it. And it just doesn't make any sense that he threw that pass and that it was so good and that it ended up as like a relatively easy touchdown considering the circumstances. Yep. Right. Uh, what about Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Uh, we, we talked about uh, we expected the Falcons to blow this game. They did. Uh, were you impressed at all with Tampa Bay as they came back? Is there any life in this team, or are we still sort of leaving them out in the cold? No, it's not. I mean, come on now. They 
got a comeback against the Falcons, like the <laughs> most cowardice franchise in the history of professional sports. No, but but the, can you do the can you do the fart line? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I forget what I said now. I forget what I said now. You said uh, the Falcons. Falcons farted all over themselves. Like, oh yeah, the Falcons and Bucks. Yeah, they both farted all over themselves the entire game. And the Falcons just had happened to get more poots out at the end. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the Bucks at the beginning of the game, like they were awful on offense yeah. and, and defense. Uh, like they they were just straight up bad. Uh, and like Deion Jones got sacks. Like they had no answers at all for the Falcons and blitz packages, and they just looked like they weren't going to be able to move the ball. And you know, the shocking thing to me was. You know, in that first half, obviously, you know, I've made the point a lot uh, on Twitter where, hey, like Brady's 43 years old. Uh, this is going to fall off at some point. And just watching how like when the Falcons blitz, he couldn't get away at mm-hmm. all. Uh, right. And when he had to throw on the run, like he wasn't getting anywhere close to his receivers. Uh, and it just kind of showed like, man, like if Brady is going to lead this team on a run more than ever in his career, he needs everything to go right in his favor. Uh, and, you know, he's playing against the Falcons. So in the second half did, uh, they couldn't get like any pressure. Uh, all their blitzes were picked up and uh, he just kind of carved them up in the second half. But uh, that first half w- was pretty jarring. And like, even in the second half where, uh, you know, they were making a comeback, you know, the Falcons still has some drives, not in the fourth quarter. Cause they just roll over and die like usual. But in the third quarter, like they were having some, some drive they were able to move the ball. Calvin Ridley absolutely torched uh, the Bucks yesterday. Matt Ryan had a great game, and uh, even though the Bucks really shut down the Falcons' rushing game, like outside of Matt Ryan, I think they had like eight rushing yards yesterday, uh, which is you know not a, a strong place to be. Uh, I, I I just. It, it just showed that this Bucks team is not nearly as perfect or quite honestly playing as well as they were at the beginning of the season because this Falcons offense has been nothing to write home about and they were able to just destroy them through the air. Uh, and you just kind of needed some late game heroics and Brady to get that back. And you're not going to play the, the Falcons every week. You're going to have to play teams that actually have a backbone in the second half. And that's going to be a challenge for them uh, in the playoffs, I think. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving them any credit for – beating a defense that made Taysom Hill look like a viable NFL quarterback. <laughs> the one positive I'd take away from this game, if I was a Bucks fan, is that they seem to start using play action in the second half. Like it was like 18% in the first half. And then it was like 36% in the third quarter. And that's when they really made their move. Right. And which is kind of surprising because of the game script, they were down 17 points and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich seem to be people who believe that, you need to run the ball well and the run needs to be a viable threat in order to, to run play action. But it seemed like they didn't care about that on Sunday and it really benefited the offense. So maybe that's a thing we're going to see going forward. And I think that would take some pressure off Tom Brady's plate. And like Chuck said, there was one play that stood out to me where I'm not sure. I think it was a blitzing linebacker, but he was kind of, he was closing in on Brady and it was unblocked, but there was like five yards of space between him and Brady and Brady threw and like kind of turned away from the hit, even though it never really happened. And it forced him to miss a, what would have been a wide open throw. I think it was to Chris Godwin. He had to die for the ball and it ended up being incomplete. Yeah. But that's just like a sign of Brady. He's just not that guy that's going to stand in the pocket and take a hit or move around and find space 
and buy time for his receivers to get open. He's not that dude anymore. And I thought that was one of his biggest strengths when he was at the peak of his powers in New England. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's one of his biggest things. I mean, I, that's just like a natural aging process thing, I feel like. You, you hear guys talk a lot as they get older. It takes a lot longer to recover from those hits, and they, they feel worse on game day than they, they do when you're younger. So uh you know when you when brady's sitting back there and he sees a free rusher coming to his face i'm i'm sure that that's not something he's even thinking about entertaining at this point in his career and it it, it really showed him that first half where it, it almost looked like he had the yips a little bit just playing against a, a defense that was just going to keep coming after him keep coming after him and then they got the blocking fix up in the second half and, and like you said ran up a little bit more play action so maybe that's the key for the bucks to to kind of get the gears going and start looking like a legit playoff contender again. But it just kind of feels like this team, not, I, would, I don't want to say like quite falling apart, but they just aren't looking as impressive as they were built to be at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah, football hurts. That's like that should be your main takeaway. Football hurts. Like I was in this flag football league a year ago, and I was like sore after the flag football games. I could not imagine yeah. being a 45-year-old man getting hit by Deion Jones. You probably eat too many strawberries though. Like you that's you, true. Did you that's, cut strawberry? Like you gotta and you gotta do all the pliability stuff. Yeah, I but, probably need to start taking some HGH. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean Tom Brady is uh, I'm not saying that Tom Brady takes HGH. <laughs> but Tom Brady is chasing the fountain of youth more than I think any athlete I can remember. Uh but it's just it's not there. I mean, it's not. He can't. He can't stay out in front of it uh, forever. Uh, let's talk about what might have been the best game of the, the week. The Thursday night game. The Chargers beat the Raiders thirty to twenty seven. Justin Herbert looked really good once again, uh, and we got Marcus Mariota. He was Mark, we had a Marcus Mariota sighting. Ran the ball nine times for eighty eight yards. Was pretty okay passing. Uh, but what did you guys see out of this game that was? Uh, it was it was kind of like a fun little diversion, not really a game that matters in the grand scheme of things, but it was it was really fun football. I, yeah. I had a blast watching that game. I mean, uh, it was like the Marcus Devold. It was like the Marcus Mariota that you expected to get consistently when he was picked number two overall in like twenty fifteen. Uh, and you know, it was just it was fun to see him out there you know, running the read options. Like you almost he'd been on the bench for so long, and and just frankly just terrible and ineffective that you kind of forgot how athletic he actually is and that kind of opened up the Raiders offense and yeah the Chargers probably weren't ready for a lot of it because you know you come into that game prepared for Derek Carr and you get Mariota which is like a completely different right. type of offense that you have to run but it was the markets of old and it was fun and, and Herbert was was balling too especially like when they needed uh uh to score in crunch time like that was it, it was just a fun game between you know like you said, two teams that aren't going to be competing in the playoffs or, uh, you know, m- making pushes for a Super Bowl anytime soon. But uh, it was two explosive young quarterbacks. And I think the fun thing was it kind of gives you a little bit of like a what if factor for Mariota in the rest of his career. Because, you know, at, at least in that one game, it certainly looked like a guy who could come in and be a starting quarterback somewhere. Maybe he never uh, figures out and actualizes like that star potential he had coming out of Oregon. But that was a nice first step for him to get his career back on, on Thursday. Yeah. And I think it's easy to forget that the injury Mariota suffered was like a one that would just kill any quarterback's career. Like he literally could not feel his elbow. Right. So 
I, maybe we gave up on him too quickly. He still looked like a guy. He looked like a totally different quarterback than when we when we la- saw him last year in Tennessee. And I mean, I think this is like a pretty lame take, and I've already used it today on the pod. But like, put him in Kyle Shanahan's offense, and I still think he's a viable s- starter in the league. So right, right. and he's like, uh, you know, I think as we talk about quarterbacks, we're sort of seeing that there's. You, there's got to be some sort of middle ground, right? Like this, every team is trying to find its franchise quarterback. And then as soon as there's a hint that like, that's the guy, Jared Goff gets, a, you know, $30 million a year. Carson Wentz gets $30 million a year. And then like when they're not the guy, it's a, it's a huge problem. But if you can get like Mariota's not going to command that much money, but in the right system, maybe he can get things done. Like the, the, the Browns and bears are pr- potentially going to make huge investments in their quarterbacks. I mean, I think the Browns are almost certainly likely to do it. I don't know if the bears are going to fall for it, but those guys are going to get tons of money uh, and they're not really that great as players. They're probably not worth that much. Uh, So a a smart team, if they can get Mariota at a much smaller cost and then surround him with the right talent and, and the coaching staff knows how to use him. It might be a more sustainable way to try to build teams. Uh, do you guys? Uh, let's. We we were joking last night. We were talking about. I think somebody in Chicago wrote that maybe uh, Mitch Trubisky was giving the Bears reason to uh, think about a contract extension. Ah, that's insane, right? I mean, like, that's, that's. Yeah, because he's he's done well over the last two weeks. But if you watch those games or even just like look at his passing charts, he's really just throwing a lot of shorter passes and the Bears are doing the rest of the work. So he's not even really showing anything that we haven't seen out of Trubisky before. We know he can operate in that type of offense. It's just what happens when defenses take away those easy throws. He turns into Mitch Trubisky and that's going to happen more often if he's the full-time starter. Right. And then the Browns with uh, Baker Mayfield, I, I think, this sentiment I saw all over the place, and I know you tweeted it, Stephen, that this is really Kevin Stefanski's masterpiece, right? Like, this is him putting the guy in the right position to make the throws. Yeah, like I said, it's he was pressured three times right. last night. And it was – I think it was the same against whoever they played two weeks ago. I think it was the Titans. And that's not – we're not learning anything new about Baker Mayfield. We knew he could make the throws. We saw that at Oklahoma. We saw that in 2018. The difference between him now and him earlier in the season is that he is ma- he is making those throws now. Earlier in the season, he wasn't. But, like, process-wise, I don't think we've seen some maturation of Baker Mayfield or even, like, an evolution. I think he's just hot right now. He was cold earlier in the season. And his true talent level probably lies somewhere in between. But there's no way for the Browns to make the right call here, right? Like, no. I mean, when when he's playing, he's putting up numbers. Fans are enjoying his play; they like him. I mean, they pretty much have to go the extension route. Uh, yeah, I, I, I said a few weeks ago that that game against the Titans. I don't know if I said in here to the group chat, but that game against the Titans basically locked in a extension for him. Uh, and look, like he's playing well over the past four games. He's got 10 touchdowns and one interception. He's averaging uh, like almost 8.8 yards per attempt. Statistically, he's been wild. Uh, I think that you can definitely look at this and see what he's doing on the field and be like, you know, this is not the same. Like we talked about last week when you watched that 
uh, Monday night game with Lamar versus Baker. One quarterback has to do a whole lot just to get down the field, and the other has a lot more help. But that's not Baker's fault. He's playing well within the scheme, and if he can get the Browns, or not if he can get there because he's going to have help, but if he can be the face of this Browns team getting back to playoffs for the first time in almost 20 years, I mean, they're going to give him that money. Right. No question. Uh, Steven, I see some news coming across here that uh, the Panthers have have – fired marty herney which i think oh, you've yes. been you've been uh, it, uh this takes me back to the summer when you were sort of like wondering like wait why why have the panthers they were doing like a weird tiered rebuild where they brought in a new coach coaching staff but kept the old guy to make some decisions it, it never made any sense and and literally that was the justification today is like well we need a coach and a gm who are on the same page like well that, that was apparent months ago um but how are you feeling I, I know that you wanted the panthers to to tank harder than they did uh but do you see a, a positive future uh for this franchise now that that herney's out of the way uh not really because the guy that decided to keep herney around is still running the team and i don't think that's it's gonna really change I, I still don't understand how Herney lasted as long as he did. Like the Panthers fired Dave Gettleman and brought in Herney as an interim GM. And then like they never even really announced that he was the full-time GM. It just kind of happened. Like he just stuck around long enough to just, you know, get the job by default. And they let him run the team into the ground again. Like they have the most dead money of any team this year and they have no quarterback. They're not going to be in a position to take a, another one this year, probably. So, this team is just treading water at seven and nine, which is the worst place to be in the NFL. It's the equivalent of being an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference in the NBA, which is fitting because that's basically what the Hornets have been for the last decade. Did you know that that Herney was a DMV guy? I didn't know that until just now. Yeah, I did know that, and I I've tried to keep that off the pod as a DMV guy myself. Bears <laughs> to be associated with him. Yeah, I don't claim him, but I just because I, I remember that I remember this summer I was looking up some weird stuff where I was just going back and watching some old offenses and uh, I saw that Herney had been with the Panthers for like forever but I wanted to get the correct number on this but he was hired by the Panthers in 1998 as a director of football administration he was promoted to the director of player operations in 1999 worked there from 2001 then he was the general manager of the Panthers from 2002 to 2012 <laughs> so he basically running the Panthers for like 15 years takes a break when Gettleman gets there. And like Steven said, comes back for three more years. And now he's gone. Like, hey, look, <laughs> your, your friendship will get you far. And clearly he's got some some friends in that Panthers organization uh, for a long time. But, uh, you know, for, if you're DMV person listening to this, uh, Herney went to uh, Our Lady of Good Counsel in Only Maryland. And then he went to College of Catholic, which I found uh, fairly interesting for like the five people who will care about that <laughs> and also, he's also one of the uh like a journalist who became a journalist. that was like a right. very common oh yeah like ernie of did that like he's living the dream like he's living the dream we all want is we want to run an nfl team that's why we hate <laughs> on these guys so much and ernie lived it out and that's why i resent him so much he was uh in washington's uh uh, PR department. <laughs> I want to be the mediocre white guy that gets two Bro, chances to run a, a, an NFL team after failing miserably the first time. Let me be that mediocre white guy. 
So he worked for Washington PR in 1988 and 1999. And then in 1990, he was hired as the assistant general manager of the San Diego Chargers. What? <laughs> That's an extreme chargering right there. <laughs> oh, my God. The Panthers are going to hire. I hope they don't hire the Washington PR guy. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby, that person has been putting in work. Oh, my God. Oh, I see. So the, he knew the guy from... I guess from from working in Washington, and then he, the guy just hired him to be the assistant general manager. That's a nice yeah. little come up for him. It happens. I'm really excited though, uh, Charles. To this summer, I, we're just going to do a segment each week with uh, whatever random stuff you're looking up online. You just said <laughs> you just like we'll look up random things and watch old offenses, and we're just going to do a segment where Charles reads a Wikipedia page. Yeah, Charles, <laughs> Charles looks up random stuff and discusses it. Today I'm looking up Steve Berline's Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I owned a Steve Berline jersey oh at my one gosh. point in my I'm life. Gonna- I'm getting, True story. I'm getting you a throwback for Christmas. Now that I know. <laughs> it was like useless after like two months. They like cut him after like two months after I got it. I was devastated as a kid. Uh, yeah. I also, I was also, I, I, I was doing some research on like some random Panthers team and like there's some receiver who was like really nice and really good. And, uh, he like hurt his leg and sued the team. Uh, Patrick Jeffers was yes, white yes, that, yeah, yeah. the white guy. Yeah. Patrick Jeffers. Uh, that you know, it's it's fun little projects like that that I never do anything with. I just like to look up and and now look look, it's useful we'll for this them. podcast right now. We we'll use them on the pod. I love what, it. What's the most embarrassing jersey you've owned? Now that I've admitted that I owned a Steve Berline jersey, uh, honestly, I'm not a big jersey guy. Neither am I. But I've had uh, Falcons Deion Sanders. Uh, That's a good I had, one. I had this. Uh, it was so you know like the. Uh, the Falcons jerseys that they used to wear when like Fran Tarkenton was a quarterback or whatever. And like, they were just straight red uh, yeah. with the old logo on it. I had a big red one of that. It was like triple XL. <laughs> that was a Michael Vick Jersey that my uncle Tony or my cousin Tony gave to me after we went to a Falcons game in Charlotte and Michael Vick balled out and we were just cussing at these Panthers fans on the street. I was like 11 <laughs> years old. It was so much fun. And uh, he gave me he was a, he's a big dude and he gave me this Michael Vick jersey that was way too big for me like when I put it on it was almost touching the ground but it was my favorite thing ever and I lost it somewhere uh, and then I had Michael Turner jersey and I had a Roddy White jersey that my dog just absolutely tore up those are pretty good jerseys, yeah, my, good jerseys. my brother owned a Matt Jones Jaguars jersey that's nice that's nice I also randomly have a, a Magic Jordan or oh, Magic Jordan, Jesus! I spent <laughs> way too much time on Twitter. Uh, Magic Johnson uh, jersey that I bought randomly in high school, like off one of those sites where it takes like two months to get there, but it's like twenty dollars. <laughs> it costs. Yeah, those are great. Uh, Charles, tell me about your story that you dropped this morning. Uh, again, over it for the win. We've got. I, I forget what our headline is. I got to look it up. Uh, Meet the team behind those delightfully whimsical Monday Night Football. That's it. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Charles Whimsical. Noticed yeah, that, yeah. Uh, PFF Sam just tweeted at me, delightfully whimsical. Have you been hammering the eggnog early? <laughs> you are. You're an eggnog fan. I like it. Oh, yeah. I feel like egg, eggnog is not the thing you're drinking if you come up with whimsical. That's like something a little harder. Like maybe a little acid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I got the idea from one of my friends. Uh, and I just reached out to ESPN asking if I could uh, talk to their Monday Night Graphics stuff, be- the graphics people, because the, the one that kind of set me off was the uh, it was a Josh Allen one where they had him in Home Alone 
uh, where they had him like doing the little Home Alone skit, and it was Cam Newton and Ryan Fitzpatrick peering through the window, like pretending to be the burglars from the movie, and Josh Allen's inside, and they have these bill stats up, and I was just sitting there like, yo, who is coming up with this stuff? Like, like is this person okay? Like, do they need help? Like, are they on drugs? Uh, because the ideas that they're coming up with are nuts. So I just decided to reach out and uh, ESPN got back to me really fast and they were da- uh, down to do the uh, interview and they, they got me a bunch of clips. So I interviewed uh, David, uh, well, I can't pronounce the name, Spargro uh, and uh, Joe Accardino, uh, who basically run the uh, graphics design for them. And they just talked me through the process, like how some of these ideas come up how you know like the main focus of it is to entertain you but also teach you something for like so for the bills one uh they they said it had been like 25 years since they were all alone back uh at the top of the afc east standing so they went with home alone and i guess the hot movie back then was like the the home alone movies and it was around christmas time so they they went with that and they had uh the last division title and the last playoff win which are both in 1995 so that's kind of how they came up with that. And it, it sounds like insane, like when you talk it out, but it makes sense, like in the context of the broadcast. And we talked about some of their favorite ones and, and uh, when they first realized they could get, they, they were, they were able to like have fun and stretch their legs with this a little bit. Uh, I think the first one they talked about was uh, the first one where they, they realized they could have fun with the ideas was the, before the Texans drafted Deshaun Watson, as we all know, they were just running through quarterbacks, trying to, trying to find anything that could stick. So they had, you know, a Texas themed saloon and the quarterbacks were walking in and walking out and it was just like a roller coaster <laughs> of who was who was uh started for them. So that, that that was a lot of fun to put together. These guys are, are pretty goofy, even though you know, the the dude who was running PR tried to keep it as serious as possible, but you can tell <laughs> that those guys think it's uh it's it's a it's a right. fun little joke. I mean and that's like the bigger point of your story too is that like these things stand out so much because ESPN like the game itself feels so serious. Like they they just take the game so seriously. Uh, and so when there's these weird little interludes, it really stands out. And, and I think you did a good job digging in and finding out, but the one quote that stands with me is how like, they just sit around like coming up with random ideas and just yeah. like, like, they're like, yeah, we want to have a pirate, May or like a pirate ship exploding with a yeah. pirate town, like what? The town exploding, like they just like in like bumper cars. They're just like bumper cars are cool. <laughs> Let's use bumper cars someday. Like you can tell that they're just uh, they're actually having fun with it. So it's a nice addition. I love that we've like cornered the market on weird animated NFL things. <laughs> like that's and by the way. I read the uh, the origin story of the Fox cartoons. I'm just gonna put this. Is gonna be my only statement on it. That is not canon. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> treating that as canon. This is the only podcast a, that intersects football and dumb cartoons. This is such a deep cut right now. If, if you've made it to 109 or whatever right. the, of this of the counter, uh, that's on you, buddy. Yeah, you're still listening. I, I really have no idea what's wrong with you. Log off. Go do some of the fun of your day. Uh, man, yeah, it's Christmas week. It's. Uh, 
I don't even know if we'll be back later this week. We'll probably have an episode. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll find something to talk about. Uh, thanks for joining us. Wait, do we want to uh, preview this game tonight or no? No, you. Put it on Twitter. I I have like you know you have all these Twitter followers and you're you're adding me that you're not going to preview it and my phone's blowing up. Uh, I don't know how you live with all these people interacting with you. Oh, I, I turn off notifications on Twitter, oh, I, no. except when I need the PlayStation and like, like <laughs> sifting through the notifications. I think I think I'm gonna write about it after I actually get into my hands, like the journey. But there's nothing worse than just like sifting through the Twitter notifications popping on my phone to find the PlayStation launches. <laughs> uh, when's that PS5 coming? January? Uh, allegedly January 9th, but you know some people have already got their ships, so fingers crossed that we can get that a little sooner than January. Fingers 9th. crossed. Hoping for a miracle, everybody. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, catch up with us over at For the Win and on Twitter. Charles is at Four Verts. Steven's at the Steven Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. Uh, we'd love to talk to you there. Um, take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. <laughs>